You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APEC region. I am Danielle, Senior Consultant of Evolution Recruitment Solution, and I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I am your host. So welcome to another episode um, of our podcast, where today I'm very excited to be joined with three female panelists. I think this is the first time I've had this. So we're discussing the topic of women leading products with some insights and inspiration. And in this episode, we'll be exploring product management and the unique perspective and insights that women bring to this field. So I am very delighted to be joining three senior thought leaders within the product space. So we have Tatiana, Chief Product Officer of Daras, Monica, Product Lead of Big Pay, and Julie Martin, Head of Product of Stash Away. So before we start, I would like everyone to kind of give a quick introduction about themselves, if that's okay. So maybe we can start out with uh, Monica. Yes, hello everyone, and I'm very happy to be here. Same, I think it's the first time that I have a product conversation with three women leaders, so really looking forward to the chat. Uh, I'm Monica. I was fortunate to have my very first job in the product space. So since very, very young age, I was like, I like product. I always worked in financial services. I then kind of like went into corporate. I'm originally from Mexico, so I started in Mexico, went to corporate, working corporate financial services in the UK. And then about eight years ago, I did the jump from working in a big bank to working in one of the very first challenger banks in the UK, Tandem Bank. So very, very early stages when the bank did not even have a banking license nor a name. It was a proper let's jump into the adventure and unknown of of what I call like a once in a lifetime experience. So I had a lot of exposure building a bank from scratch in the UK. And then a few years later, then basically I moved to Malaysia to then help start BigPay from the product perspective. And then basically BigPay, we are also a new bank and our vision is to be the lifelong financial partner for Southeast Asians to develop their lives. So basically in these two roles, I had huge exposure when it comes not only building product from zero to one, but building a bank from zero to one. And then now we are like scale, now we're a scale up, right? We're not a startup anymore. We're more than five years old. So it's like, it's been an amazing journey, tons of mistakes, lessons, uh, change. So it's been a fascinating journey and I'm very, very happy to share with everyone here. All right. Thanks for that, Monica. And on to you, Tatiana. Uh, so yeah, so I'm uh, currently at Taraz, who's an e-commerce um, startup and we are in the South Asia region. So Pakistan, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Nepal, and Sri Lanka. Very interesting region. Uh, I started product actually 17 years ago, uh, completely by accident. Uh, I actually went to university to study journalism. Uh, and uh, when I was about to start my career, it was a very difficult time for journalism and print, uh, which was what I wanted. So I continued to do like a postgrad and uh, I found the work at a startup uh, while I was finishing studies. So it was never meant to be uh, a long term career decision, but I just loved it so much that I ended up staying and I forgot all about journalism. And uh, as I mentioned, it's been 17 years since. And I've been for the past nine years in the e-commerce industry, which I also love. Very 
challenging industry, but it covers, I, I don't think it's an industry in itself. It covers so many industries. It covers uh, FinTech, a little bit of taste of that as well as Monica was referring. We do also financial services, we do payment integrations, but also covers retail, marketplace, the logistics network. Uh, right now, 80% of our volumes are delivered by our, uh, by our uh, in-house fleet. Um, so, so yeah, so very, I'm very excited to be here as well. And this, uh, the, the woman of, um, the role of woman in tech is a topic that is very dear to my heart. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here with all of you and discussing today. Yeah, last but not least, Julie. Hi everyone, I'm very excited to be here and discussing with women product leaders. It's indeed pretty rare <laughs> to have so many in the same discussion. Um, so uh, I guess same as you, when I started my studies, I never heard about product before. I didn't know what product was when I was studying. I studied uh, political sciences, mathematics, at the master in finance. And actually when I started my career, I wanted to become a venture capitalist. I was you know, I discovered this job, I thought, oh, that was amazing, it's interesting. But before that, before being MVC, I was thinking, okay, I need a bit of startup experience. So this is why I had a first experience in Singapore, actually. We launched a startup backed by Rocket at the time, and I was head of ops. So I developed the ops team, and I was very frustrated by the product. And this is why I discovered the product function inside a company. <laughs> were always in Berlin at the time. So my next experience was in Berlin inside the product team. And this is where I really got to hang on the product. Still decided to start my career in investment banking because I still was thinking about venture capitalism and thinking, okay, I need to learn about the basic of investment and finance and see what tech strategy looks like at, for, at bigger scales, right? With big companies and uh, merger and acquisitions. Uh, so I started in London after a couple of years. I missed being on the tech and startup side, so I left and joined um, startup building uh, software for traders. So uh, more on the B2B size, fintech. Then I moved to Singapore and I wanted to try the B2C side. So I had two years of uh, e-commerce experience at uh, Love Bonito. Uh, which I really loved for the very strong, uh, I guess, female fashion brand and empowerment that there was there. So for the first time I was in a tech team and product team with mostly female. So that was a very interesting ex experience also for a couple of years where I learned a lot on the, on the growth sides and, and loyalty and CRM and, uh, and optimization. And I moved two years ago to Stash Away. We, so Stashery is the first uh, robot advisor in Singapore. Uh, they launched a bit more than five years ago. Uh, we are not in five different markets. So also in Hong Kong, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, uh, and Dubai. Uh, and yeah, I, I joined. So when I joined Stashery, I was uh, originally an individual contributor, launched a lot of the investment product and little by little. Um, ended up uh, managing the team. So now I did the product team at Stashaway. All right, thank you everyone for the introduction. I mean, super, I mean, thanks for sharing how you guys got into product. Yeah, I told a few of my product managers that I speak to as well. Like in Singapore, there's no cost for product management. I actually never knew about it until I joined a recruiter as a product manager recruiter. So very interesting to see how, you know, you guys moved into this field. I think um, studies have shown that only 
18% are product managers have a degree in product manager and about the 71% transition from another role. So I think Monica is one of the only um, female product managers that I know that started off in product, which is crazy. So I wanted to just ask you guys, like, what were the challenges and pain points that you guys faced as a product manager when you first started? Understand how you're going to differentiate. So as a newbie, as a product manager, well, my take is that you're hired and then there, like you were saying, there is no real induction. There is no real, hey, I've studied product ma product management as such. You're hired, you got the PM job, you ace the interview, you start and you're just like thrown into the ocean and you need to learn to swim, otherwise you sink. And that means like understanding what's the market. You know, like where does your product fit on the market? Who's your customer? And then how you're differentiating with your product. And then on top of that, you need to learn all the skills of the product management as a, as a as an art, let's say, and as a science as such. So it's it's kind of too much. I think it can be like overwhelming. And that is not only when you start as a new product manager, but also when like when you change jobs as a product established product person like you still need to go through that learning curve obviously it gets easier over time because you have the foundations but i think the this idea of you get hired and then thrown into the ocean that's still relevant across industries and seniorities that's one of the biggest challenges just to get started and you guys agree yeah. avoid <laughs> Yeah, I would echo uh, the same, uh, especially when I started out. I didn't know, uh, also what Julie mentioned, I didn't know what a product role was. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, I don't think my manager also knew what it was. And even eight years after I joined, I, uh, I, I, eight years after I started um, my career, I moved into another company, which was uh, Rocket Internet. It's one of the biggest startup incubators in the world. Um, and there, you know, everyone, my, my team members, my managers, uh, everyone reporting to me, we were all trying to figure out how to structure our work. We were uh, trying to implement Agile uh, and Scrum. And it was, um, you know, there was a lot of friction because there was no set way of working. Uh, but it was also very fun and challenging on the other hand, because we were defining uh, ourselves. What were, what were the rules of the game? You know, how did we want it to work? How do we want it to cooperate? Um, and it was, I think that my entire career was entirely self-made. I never had like a manager that would give me a career path. I never had a, a company that would say, you know, join and, you know, this is what you need to do. And it was quite every time it was the other way around you know we need you to tell us what what, what is it that we need to do um and that can be a pain point and be a friction because ne never i never joined anywhere where things were structured around me i always had to bring structure along with everyone that was working with me um but it's also very fun very very rewarding in the end i think so a bit of mixed emotions but i definitely think that's the the what stands out throughout my entire career is um, this having to build uh, what the role is and how do we work with others around us. 
so on my side, when I so I joined from the industry, went from like banking to to product. So I remember the first time when I started in the in the fintech uh, startup in in London, uh, I had like a, a very very strong learning curve on the on the technical side, the data side, right? SQL. Uh, I had to learn, you know, and 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 when you join a, a startup, there is no documentation. There is no things for the role, but usually things are not documented. So you need to learn, you know, who are are your stakeholders? What, you know, how is the product organized? How are things are working? And I remember joining some of the stand-ups. I was working with uh, a few different squads at the time. And for the first few weeks, right, doing the stand-ups, I could understand maybe probably 50%, right, of what the developers were saying and you know little by little it really started to click and i did a lot of you know self-learning and catching up on the on the technical side kubernetes microservices you know everything was not you know taught in school before so it was one of the challenging part for me so once uh, i had this first experience and then i moved from roles to roles uh, i think similar as to what monica mentioned the most uh, the, the learning curve is more on the industry then, because a lot of the skills and the technical reference you learn during the first roles, you can reapply them in, in different parts. So I would say at the beginning, it's it can seem a bit overwhelming because we're learning everything, right? the, the the product, the market, the team, and and the technical side of course. That's interesting. I mean, Julie, you're the only person I think that actually made a transition from e-commerce or to fintech. So besides industry knowledge, was there any other challenges you faced when you jumped from a different industry? Uh, industry knowledge was the main one at the beginning. I had a bit of an imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, well, I haven't been in fintech for a while. I just spent two years already getting specialized on <laughs> on the e-commerce and the growth side. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, you know, developing investment products. So it was also really investment product within, within Stasho at the beginning. Um, so, however, I realized that a lot of the frameworks I learned in e-commerce optimization, the data, the tracking, I really could apply it to, you know, also investment product, right? At the end, you have a funnel to buy, you know, some, some clothes, you also have a funnel to create a portfolio and understand the, the portfolio. Um, so it was less scary than it looked like at, at the beginning. Uh, but it's true that uh, I spent hours, so uh, like every week I was saving like half a day or a day doing, you know, competitors landscape, looking at other products, seeing what they do, trying to, you know, talk to customers and really, really, I spent much more time, I think, than the other existing PMs that were already in the, in the industry, right, to catch up on, on this. So it's a lot about, you know, time management and really uh, reading and being open to, to learn, right? Uh, for the first six months. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I know Monica and Tatiana, you both guys are both specialized in certain industries, right? But I know fintech is a wide range of different products. You know, there's wallets, there's cash, there's payments, you know, there's so many different things and e-commerce even more so. No matter what, there's still a payment involved, you know, there's still onboarding, you know, merchant side, you know, supplier side. So yeah, do you guys face the same issue? Do you guys handle, you know, I, I understand you guys move around right in different areas of um, e-commerce or fintech do you guys face similar challenges as well um definitely yes so for example one of the beautiful things of working in a neobank is that as a neobank you you touch all the 
type of financial products. So we may have started as a card, for example, and an app, and that was what I had experience on. But then as soon as you start moving into, hey, now we're going to do a remittance service, you're like, oh, there's companies, like there's full fintechs that just specialize in remittances. And now we need to launch this in a few months. And you're like, oh, you know, like, and every single type of product, it's like, whether that is remittances or that may be insurance or crypto, like whatever it is, like, you're not an expert. I'm not an expert in crypto, right? I'm not an expert in remittances. Therefore, even though you've been working in financial services for a long time, each of those product categories is an industry on its own. So as soon as you start working on that product, just like what Julie said, you need to get yourself reading, uh, studying, absorbing knowledge. And then the first few weeks, Yes, you'll be like, oh my God, I don't know about what I'm doing right now. But then it's a, okay, cool. You you are aware that you don't know what you're about to build. So you go and study. And then you're like, within a few days, you're like, okay, cool. I'm running again. And that's it. But the challenge doesn't disappear. But I think that's what makes product so cool to me. You get to learn. You get to learn. And I used to call this at some point <laughs> when I experienced these challenges quite often, I was like, oh my God, it's brain expansion moment. So I really liked the idea that I didn't know anything about a topic because it was an opportunity to learn and exactly brain expand. So it's kind of cool. And Adriana, you feel the same way? Yeah, so I do think that, you know, product is product everywhere, regardless of the industry. So the framework that you have and you take with you really helps you when you're changing industry. But there's all this context about the industry that you do need to learn. So it takes uh, time to ramp up. And when I, nine years ago, when I transitioned into e-commerce, for the first two months, I felt like I know nothing about this and I will never will. I really felt like imposter syndrome. Um, uh, it, uh, and I, I was very lucky that at the time I had a really good support system in the company that I transitioned to and they will really help me uh, to bring the context because what I feel is that we miss is the context of the company. So what is the plan? What is the strategy? Uh, the context of the market? What are the others doing? And the context of our end user. Um, so uh, you, you really need to segregate in your head that Context is what you're missing. It has nothing to do about your skill sets um, and uh, you know the the talent that you have. If you segregate that, the problem becomes a little bit more manageable, and you start tackling it in different uh, ways. As you know, Julie and Monica mentioned, um, you know you should read about the industry. You should do immersion sessions with the users, with the end users, to understand what the well, how is that they're using your product and in what context. Um, and you should talk about what are, you should identify what are your main stakeholders and discuss with them what's the company strategy what are the the things that you you know you your role should achieve what are the goals the kpis or the okrs that you're working towards and i, I think if you segregate that that makes it a, a large uh you know you, you break it into smaller units it breaks it makes it a lot more actionable um and not so daunting but definitely for me it was a very big shock when i when i joined the the e-commerce industry uh there was so much to understand okay so there's retail there's marketplace there's uh payments 
there's logistics, uh, there's uh, the buyers, there's the sellers, there's, you know, the relationships even with PPLs. Uh, it was, uh, it really felt overwhelming, but, you know, applying those, these different tools really helped me to get there. And I think at the end of three months, it was already very, very okay. And I was, you know, feeling that, okay, I got this, I can do this um, and have a much more positive outlook on, on my career. All right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, everyone. So, I mean, I know you guys are all managing teams now. So, um, do you have any advice for, I guess, team managers or, I guess, for anyone on how management team can support, you know, individuals that are transitioning into product roles? Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I can share a bit more on, on, on this one. We actually got recently, over the past year, two person internally moving to the, to the product team. Uh, one on the as a, you know junior PM and one on as a product analyst actually from the data team, so a bit of a different roles to to craft. Uh, and generally, so we beforehand, right? What we've done is we've been very you know transparent. So so we integrating we added them to our some of our meetings, right? So that they had an idea of how it works, and we've been very transparent on some of the difficulty and, and challenges because sometimes people you know. See product manager as project managers that don't realize all of the you know aspects that there they are in the product job, right? It's not just about the product management, it's not just about the design, it's not just about the dev side, it's everything together. Uh, and so so I think it's important to really uh, share this and be transparent about it before. And otherwise, so in order to help people transitioning and also, I guess, some same as a junior PM, we usually like to put in place some uh, sharing resources. For instance, um, we all follow like the reforged classes on Fridays, some of the and other classes, and we try to also have guest speakers and things like this. But I think for people coming externally, sometimes there is a misunderstanding on how broad the, the scope and what does the expectation. So it's something I think we need to be very transparent about. Yeah. Yes, I would say. Okay. Uh, so I, I'd say you know I don't want to generalize, but I'd say there's different profiles you know of when people transition to product. Uh, there are people that come more from the tech side, and they um, will be very much focused about efficiency of the team, making sure the specs are properly done, and sometimes overspecking, which is you know they will take some of the creative creativity out of the tech team on allowing them to actually uh, define what should the end solution be from a technical standpoint. Um, there's the more analytical side, people that comes from BA, uh, they sometimes fall into uh, scope creep, uh, taking a long time to make decisions. They really want to analyze everything and sometimes they spec solutions that are thought for edge cases, not so much for the happy flow. Uh, and then there are people that come from the business side and they, you know, they just think that things happen magically on the tech side and they don't understand so much that part and they focus too much on um, uh, the end goal without giving the proper context around it. So I think that depending on the individual, and this is not true for everyone, of course, people are always different, but I see these trends, you need to guide them to shape their mindsets 
to be more centered around products. So tech need to think more about value and impact. The ones that come from tech need to think about more value and impact. The one that comes from business, they need to understand all the challenges that come with building something and uh, balance the effort versus um, the impact. And those that come from uh, analytics, they, they need to uh, be able to lead the edge cages out of the solution sometimes and sometimes you still need to have to have offline solutions and and think more mvp uh i think that one of the challenges is that people transitioning into products sometimes they are very experienced on the their area of expertise and they come to product thinking oh i'm an expert already and they are but not in product. So I think they need to be, uh, the expectation needs, needs to be very well managed and they need to be treated as someone who is junior at product. I don't think they need to be treated in a different way. They just need to be treated as someone that is coming in with a junior level on product and then things will be okay. <laughs> yes, I totally agree with both of you. It's uh, and, and I could add, it's the challenge is also for the managers as such. It is very different to be really good at product. And another thing is to be managing the product team and managing people. And like, like Tatiana was saying, like guiding them, because in addition of managing the complexity of product end to end, then you need to influence people. And then it's like, we forget that people are people, right? And then when you guide, when you give feedback, it affect the how you give that feedback, the context, the how you're shaping people does influence people at a people level. Like people do have emotions, they go to work with emotions and then they are struggling with the challenge, the change, the overwhelm. So the role of becoming a manager and, and the figure that you play as authority, but at the same time, a guide and empowering like that combination is very important. So we need to take into account everything that Julie and Tatiana said, people come from different places. While like you as the people leading the team, what's your role, right? Like how are you showing up for the people in the team? All right, yeah, thanks for sharing. I mean, that's super insightful. I mean, from an outside perspective, I think I never actually understood what the you know challenges were. Um, yeah, but I actually wanted to share. So I actually have uh, just a quick stats for you. Very interesting. So I actually did a bit of research. So McKinsey actually found that companies with a more diverse leadership team are 21% more likely to experience a above average profitability. Um, but even that being said, you know, women still remain quite underrepresented in the product management industry. Um, so far, as only 28% of PMs are women. Um, so we wanted to just understand a little bit from you guys, you know, what challenges do you guys face as a female leadership um, role, you know? Is this the, you know, stigma's true? You know, I, I don't, you know, people saying that women do get less opportunities to be promoted, things like that. Um, I mean, we want to hear from you guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tatiana. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, data shows in. <laughs> uh, but from my experience, it's true there's a there's a bias, um, and often it you see it as a a single voice uh, when women are the single voice in a in a room. They're the they're in an important meeting, and you look around, and there's just you, no one else. Everyone else is male, and that comes with two problems. 
One uh, is that you don't have to, you don't have anyone to reach out to, to, to understand how you overcome the bias. Uh, there's no female figure that you can uh, reach out to, someone that has walked the walk, that can actually give you advice on how to overcome these challenges that you're having that your other peers are not having. And also the, uh, the weight of everything that you do or say, or the way that you act will represent the gender in general. So when you're a single voice, everything that you do is how women think, is how women act. Uh, and that is very unfair because when men are acting uh, or uh, what men are doing or saying, it doesn't really represent the entire gender, gender it represents them. Uh, so uh, it comes with a, a lot of weight and uh, it, 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 it really brings like dangerous, dangerous narratives in your head sometimes where it creates self-doubt and you start trusting that, uh, you start believing that bias that is out there. But I think that what, what is important is that you understand that there is bias, there's, uh, have that awareness and, and bias is just someone's system of beliefs, of, of values that is on them to have and it's on them to challenge them it's it really does not reflect on your ability or um, your skill set or your um, your or it should not impact your career path so i do think that bias is very real and i think that women need to come together a lot more often and talk about it and share experiences uh, because the more we talk about it, the more we create a, awareness around that, uh, the, the more we kind of uh, destroy this narrative that it's on women, that the bias is on women, it's not, it's on the others and they are the ones that need to deal with it. Okay, they definitely uh, <laughs> relate to the situation where you're the only women in the room it's happened quite often so it's quite interesting because from my experience i was in a company so the fintech in london was mostly male then i went mostly female in e-commerce fashion and then no i'm in the bar balance environment but when there are meetings with the more like c-suite and the senior side and especially on the engineering side is still mostly mostly male so some of the challenge on my side and the difference i see based on the environment is really on the actually on the communication side so you know sometimes you don't feel as comfortable you know communicating if you know if the audience is a bit different or less balanced you don't maybe don't have the same soft skills right the, you know the soft conversation extra it's you know different if it's fully fully male maybe you don't relate as much right when it's a bit more uh balance and those are you know little things right it's not super obvious so as Tatiana mentioned actually the, the bias it's not obvious right you, you you know you don't think about it all the time but sometimes you you realize <laughs> and so i think it's important to to keep it in mind uh not to not to forget and you know, try to see, okay, is it, you know, does it make a difference? Am I being heard? Uh, you know, uh, so I think it's important to, to keep it in, in mind. Totally agree with both of you. And I, well, I've worked in financial services since the beginning of my career. So financial services is male dominated. FinTech, like technology is male dominated. So since the beginning, I've been in that environment. And like Julie says, it's not obvious in your face. It is subtle things in the day-to-day, -day, in the meetings, in the conversations, in negotiations that you see the difference. And I think 
one of the things that we can do is like start calling out within women. It's like, if you're in a meeting, you support each other. So for example, one of the things that I've seen is sometimes you're in a meeting, a lot of people, then woman says something and it's kind of not heard slash they gave the, the, the next person like spoke louder. As simple as it. Next person spoke louder. So then you let the person speak and then you say, hey, for example, in this case, if Julie was in the room, hey, Julie, coming back to you. Like you were saying, please, can you expand? So that way you ensure that like you're giving her like the mic back, right? So that then we ensure that like she has the voice. And then this comes back to what Tatiana was saying. Like many times you're the only woman in the room. Many, many times. So that will not happen. <laughs> but in the times that there's two or more women, you can actually do that. And actually when it comes to managing mindset because Tatiana is right like sometimes you start like doubting yourself somehow because this is when it comes to the subtle culture and energy things happening in the room there's a very mate culture they call each other hi mate hey mate they mate each other right it's like hey dude that is not inclusive it's very exclusive even for men as such because not everybody's part of the mate culture. So kind of like breaking that language, kind of or calling out that language expression as such is important as well. And then the other thing, it's like when you're in the situation where you're like, hey, I'm the only one in the room, manage your mindset. Because then, for example, sometimes I am the only one in the room or in the Zoom call, let's say, and I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm the one that's leading the call. That is cool. And I don't tell that to anyone, I tell that to myself. And then I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like you're the one leading the call. That is cool. Uh, so, so it's kind of like, how do we also use this to our favor? And I agree with women need to, to start tips that it took us many years to figure out. Well, the girl that's like now, the woman that is now 25, It'll take her another 10 years of this. Well, let's not wait for 10 more years. Like, let's give her all the tips all in one go up front. This is how you manage it. Boom. And then that way we can accelerate closing any type of gap. Yeah, I kind to hear from you guys. I mean, so I mean, we're just down to our last question now. And I want to understand, you know, what you guys think, you know, women can bring to the table. You know, what, what are the unique strengths that women can bring to product management and how can organizations leverage on the strengths? Um, I think as product management managers, women product managers, I would love to hear what you guys think on from our side of the of the of the table. So, anyone has anything to say? I think I have so far. Go ahead. I have very strong views on this. Uh, I think we should stop calling ourselves, and this is my personal view. We should stop calling ourselves. I'm a woman in product. I'm not a woman in product. I'm the product leader, that's it. And then based on that, you kind of like stop the segregation of men, women. I'm really good at what I do. I'm a high achiever. I have traits that are masculine. I'm confident, I'm assertive, I'm a leader. I can fight back. And at the same time, I have traits that are feminine, e.g. I'm empathetic. 
I bring people together. I bring psychological safety. People trust me. People come come to me. I understand customers. Like, and when you bring those two together, that makes me a strong product leader. It's not that I'm a woman. A man can have those traits as well. But uh, I think it starts with like changing mindset as well. Right. I totally agree. I don't like this uh, segregation of genders and putting some characteristics in one gender and others in another because uh, when you start doing that, then it's also valid to say that the skill set and the, the characteristics that men have also make them more suited for leadership, right? Every, everything is valid then at the end. So I, I also completely, completely agree with Monica. It should not be about genders. It should just be about individual skill sets. I think that the current context where there's still bias, I think that women actually are more equipped because they need to work twice as hard. So when, when in doubt, when you have two candidates and they seem just as good, often the woman will turn out to be better just because she had to work twice as hard to reach where, you know, the role that she has uh, reached. And this is, uh, I think, especially true where um, in the countries where my company operates in, so South Asia uh, and uh, cultures where women are still don't have legally the same voice and same representation as men, like in Pakistan, for example, uh, where it takes women to have a signature from uh, a man to open a bank account even. Uh, so in, in these uh, environments where women come into the workspace, they are twice, if not much more motivated than men to actually work. They have to overcome so many obstacles to get there. Um, and realizing this, having awareness of this is actually very important uh, to bring some equality and give them opportunities. But I think looking at the future, I'd like to touch on something that Monica mentioned, which I think is uh, very important. I think right now there's a big trend and awareness with mental health and how companies need to incorporate, incorporate and support mental health of the employees. And when I'm uh, surrounded by men, I often don't hear them talk about how can they support their employees or their team members' emotions and feelings and how can they address them and create a safe environment where it's okay to be vulnerable. Uh, I often hear this when I'm talking with other women in the industry. And not to say that women are more empathic than men, but I think that naturally they're more inclined to approach these topics, which I think are, are going to be key to the next generations uh, entering the workforce. They want this company that is focused on mental health and they want to work with a leader that has their mental health um, as one of the aspects of just the everyday work. So I think in that sense, women will be better equipped maybe in the future to become leaders and they will be favored as leaders, I hope. <laughs> uh, maybe turn the tables a little bit, but I do see that trend and that's something that I'm I'm very curious about. Yeah, definitely align on the, I don't think there are like characteristics that, you know, women as with men, you, you know what you're looking for in a good product manager, right? You want empathy, you want the data skills, you, you, it's very rounded profiles actually, depending on the position also. So you need very strong individuals that have all those qualities. Uh, I think the important part is to have teams with, I would say both. Right, uh, and different individuals with different backgrounds to try to, you know, get dif 
different opinions, different views. Um, so for, for instance, if you design like a, a co-head, you know, product that is going to use, be used by both, sometimes we notice that, you know, if you really care about the front-end experience and some on the design side, it's really interesting to have a bit of, of both, right? You don't need just, you know, the, the women and the men, but I, I believe having teams that are a bit more balanced really helps. So I've been in a, in some, you know, if the design has been up completely by, you know, male designer and male PM, sometimes you review it and you're with, for instance, female uh, uh, customers and they, they, you know, they're going to say, I've been in that situation, they'll say, oh, you know, the, this whole app, this design, you know, it sounds very masculine, right? It's like, I don't, you know, so it's important to have both and like a diversity in your team, right, to make sure that you know, the product at the end caters to the audience and, uh, you know, your PMs have the empathy and what is needed, right, to build a, a very strong product. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think I got a little bit corrected there, but yeah, I understand what you guys mean. I mean, a product manager, a good product manager is a good product manager. It doesn't matter whether you're a female or male. And I think I needed to change my question a little bit, but yeah, really great to hear from you guys. So before we end up, I think we ran a little bit over time, but I would love to hear, I guess, some advice that you guys have to give to future product managers, you know, whether fit male or female, what is maybe a quote you live by or any advice you want to share with, you know, younger people that are moving, or maybe people on the same age, they're also moving into product. Okay, I go first. Um, so I think just go for it. That's it. Go for it. Because then that is followed with, with you'll figure it out. You will figure it out. So as long as you tell yourself, Yes, this opportunity sounds good. Yes, go for the job, go for the promotion, go for the side hustle, just go for it. And then remember that you will figure it out. That's kind of my quote that I tell myself, followed by when it gets very tough, sometimes you just have to push through. And that's sometimes you just have to push through without putting too much pressure on yourself. It's like, a, yeah, I completely agree. Just push through and be kind to yourself. You know, sometimes it's okay not to be, uh, not to achieve your expectations. Um, I don't think that there's a particularly, uh, particular advice to women, uh, apart from being persistent. Don't let this bias bring you down because there's so many now examples of women that have overcome the bias and, you know, we have here examples of that. So, um, but I think really be a very authentic and be very uh um work on your skill set you know be very real with you like what are the skills that you have that are an advantage to you but also focus on what are the things that you have to work on um sometimes on appraisal time um you know i have uh, i have people in my team that come and say i'm great at everything that really tells me that they're not gonna have what it takes to succeed because what it takes to succeed is really be true to what are your weaknesses and find the tools to be better at them. And this is true for men and women. So find what it is that you need, what is blocking you from progressing, from evolving and address that. It's very, you know, it's still very agile way as you approach work, approach your own uh, development and uh, in your career path. Just find what it is that you need to work on and just work on it and take it step by step and, and be very kind with yourself along the process. Yeah, they definitely align with this also on the main people on the female side, what I've seen and what I've experienced myself is a lot of imposter syndrome. Oh, I'm not sure I can do it, right? I'm not sure, you know, I'm good enough for, for this, right? So it's really about 
you know, believing you can do it. And it's not just believing, but actually, you know, uh, making sure you can do it, right? So learning your data skills, right? Learning your design skills, uh, catching up on this and really building your your career and your skills. And then, you know, things are going to come up, right? People are going to start looking at, you know, what you say or what you do, right? They're, they're going to start following and, and respecting your, your, you know, your, your views. Uh, so, yeah, I would say don't listen to the, you know, little imposter syndrome voice, right? It's possible that sometimes, you know, you, you don't feel, you know, you, you, you're in the right place, or maybe, you know, you, you don't feel, you, you feel people could be maybe better at, at, um, than you for this. Uh, I think it's important to overcome this and really believe in your, in your skill and, and get the, that confidence, uh, because you're going to have to talk to a lot of stakeholders, lot of teams, you're going to have to really uh, get your data, explain, you know, why this needs to be built first, etc. So really, it's important to, you know, get that confidence and, and believe you, you can do it. All right. Yeah. So that's all the time we have for today. If you're hearing this message, you'll listen to the entire episode. And for that, thank you for tuning in. Um, so feel free to share any topics you'd like to see in the future. And if not, we'll see you next week.